0: you're listening to the cyberwire network powered by
1: n2k this episode is brought to you by shopify whether you're selling a little or a lot shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage no matter what stage you're in shopify's there to help you grow Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer.
0: The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. APT is exploiting internet-facing instances of Service Desk Plus. Meta releases its end-of-year adversarial threat report. CISA names the first members of its cybersecurity advisory committee. Sentencing American and Russian style. Malek Ben Salem has a look at cyber resilience. Our guest is PJ Kerner from Illumio with a look ahead to 2022. And an alleged false whistleblower is under indictment and under arrest. the CyberWire studios at Datatribe. I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, December 2nd, 2021. Palo Alto Networks Unit 42 describes a campaign by an advanced persistent threat, no nation identified as responsible, Exploiting a zero day in Zoho Manage Engine Service Desk Plus. Unit 42 estimates that there are about 4,700 internet facing Service Desk Plus instances worldwide. About 2,900 of them, some 62%, are regarded as vulnerable to exploitation. The report represents an update to earlier revelations of a nation state campaign that's been exploiting Zoho software. The U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, CISA, issued a joint advisory about AD Self-Service Plus on September 16th, subsequently updated on November 22, in which it warned that the threat actors were taking advantage of vulnerabilities to pursue targets in academic institutions and defense contractors, and some organizations in the transportation, information technology, manufacturing, communications, and finance sectors. The APT appears to be collecting information. The campaign would represent a cyber espionage effort. The advice CISA offered then remains sound. Don't expose this software to the Internet. Facebook's parent Meta yesterday released its end of the year adversarial threat report. It concentrates on what Meta calls coordinated inauthentic behavior, brigading, and mass reporting. Coordinated inauthentic behavior is familiar, but brigading and mass reporting deserve some explanation. Brigading involves an adversarial network whose participants cooperate to mass comment, mass post, or engage in other types of repetitive mass behaviors to harass others or silence them, which sounds like trolling scaled to an industrial size. Mass reporting, also characterized as involving an adversarial network, occurs when, quote, people work together to mass report an account or content to get it incorrectly taken down from our platform, end quote. That is, people combine to falsely allege violations of policy in an attempt to get someone banned from Facebook or any other meta-platform. The reporting in this case is reporting in the sense of diming someone out to the platform. Meta took down four coordinated inauthentic behavior networks in China, Palestine, Poland, and Belarus. One network in Italy and France was disabled for brigading, and one network in Vietnam was removed for mass reporting. CISA has named the first members of its Cybersecurity Advisory Committee— The agency describes the advisory committee as, quote, "...comprised of the nation's leading experts on cybersecurity, technology, risk management, privacy, and resilience. They bring a diverse set of experiences and perspectives and will impanel a set of subcommittees focused on addressing key focus areas." End quote. The appointments just announced represent the first 23 members. The CSAC may ultimately have up to 35 members. The advisory committee was established in June of this year and was designed to bring the CISA director advice on cybersecurity from the perspective not only of industry but also of state, local, and tribal governments. CISA says that committee members with subject matter expertise in various critical infrastructure sectors— Participate in the development, refinement, and implementation of recommendations, policies, programs, planning, and training pertaining to CISA's cybersecurity mission. The CSAC will also form subcommittees as the CISA director decides. Subcommittees would study special topics of importance to the agency's mission. Alexander Krisishkin, one of the founders and the effective leader of a bulletproof hosting service that catered to cyber gangs, has been sentenced by the U.S. District Court for the Eastern District of Michigan, Southern Division, to a term of five years on a RICO beef. Mr. Gretzshkin took a guilty plea to one count of conspiracy to engage in a racketeer-influenced corrupt organization. His co-defendants, who also pleaded guilty, were sentenced earlier. The U.S. Attorney's Sentencing Memorandum outlines the services Gretzshkin's operations provided, he and his colleagues were in the infrastructure business and delivered the IP addresses, domains, and servers their gangland customers used, as Bleeping Computer lists them, quote, to distribute malware, host phishing kits, breach targets networks, build botnets, and steal banking credentials. The malware they supported forms a familiar list, Zeus, SpyEye, Citadel, and Black Hole. The Financial Services Information Sharing and Analysis Center, the FSISAC, informed the court that SpyEye and Zeus alone cost banks about $111 million in 2011 alone, and that FSISAC regards that figure as a low estimate. Since TASS has expressed President Putin's interest in and commitment to international cooperation against cybercrime, A Russian court case provides an example of what that commitment looks like. A Russian court passed sentence on Maxim Zhukov for coding he did for the Fin 7 gang. Mr. Zhukov received, the record reports, a one-year suspended sentence and a year's probation. Let that be a lesson to him and others like him. It probably already is. And finally, not all whistleblowers, apparently, should be taken at face value. The U.S. Department of Justice yesterday announced the indictment and arrest of Mr. Nicholas Sharp, formerly employed by Ubiquity Networks, on four counts of computer-related crime. The Verge has a useful summary of the case. Back in January, Ubiquity, which makes prosumer routers and access points, notified users that it had sustained a data breach in the course of which unauthorized parties may have accessed company information. In March, a whistleblower told media outlets that matters were far worse than Ubiquity had let on and that it had covered up a catastrophic data breach. That whistleblower was apparently Mr. Sharp, and if the Fed's indictment is borne out at trial, since, of course, Mr. Sharp is entitled to a presumption of innocence, he was not only responsible for the initial data breach itself, but also for using his whistleblowing to ratchet up extortion pressure on the company. According to reporting from The Verge, The first count charges him with transmitting a program to a protected computer that intentionally caused damage, which carries a maximum sentence of 10 years in prison. The second count charges transmission of an interstate threat, which carries a maximum sentence of 2 years in prison. The third count charges wire fraud, which carries a maximum sentence of 20 years in prison. The fourth count charges the making of false statements to the FBI— which carries a maximum sentence of five years in prison. The maximum potential sentences are prescribed by Congress and are provided here for informational purposes only, as any sentencing of the defendant will be determined by the judge. Note to any faux whistleblowers. Next time, try the caper from a Russian jurisdiction. The American feds are just humorless. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust Plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com/zerotrustai. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? That's vanta.com slash cyber. As we find ourselves on final approach toward the end of 2021 and the new year ahead, it's good to take stock of the year we've had and look ahead at what's yet to come. P.J. Kerner is chief technology officer at security firm Illumio. And I checked in with him for his insights on the year ahead.
2: I think zero trust is one of those kind of terms that have been out there and people have been talking about. And, you know, we saw the Biden mandate around the federal government doing zero trust. I think what's what's interesting is people trying to figure out what it is and also how to get started we've seen kind of larger uh, again more mature you know organizations try and figure out what a what a strategy was but i think it's something we all need to do and so like everybody has to have a starting place everybody has to have a something to do to sort of show your boss or your board that you are on the zero trust path and i think that's going to be a thing that's going to you know change in 2022 that when people people start figuring that out and there'll be more small success stories around zero trust
0: hmm so kind of a, a snowball rolling down the hill, whereas people see others having success with it
2: becomes, I don't know, more um, more important for them to get on board. The one challenge around zero trust, it seems kind of daunting because like, it is a it is a strategy you apply and like, what am I going to be done with zero trust? Like, well, you might never be. Mm. It, it's, a, it's, it's a strategy you're, you're going to use for the rest of time. So it is about how you get started. I think it's about the, finding quick wins. And starting the journey, and I think that's what uh, uh, will will happen people will figure that out.
0: What about um ransomware that's certainly been top of mind for a lot of folks
2: this year? Do you think we're going to see progress in the year ahead? I think so I mean i like i mean there there's much more awareness around it for sure you know one other thing that zero trust does bring around is this assume breach mentality, which I think is an important kind of construct it's Assume they're already inside, right? And they might be, you know, they might have a foothold here and a foothold there. How do you uh, adapt your security posture when you assume they're they're already, you know, they're already there, right? You've already been breached, right? And I think that mentality will yield stories about people found stuff, how they found stuff, how they sort of prevented it, how they sort of kept, you know, kept it on the, you know, periphery and again i think that will lead to more people learning about what to do uh, potentially what to do to sort of uh, stop those you know large disasters
0: you know people are are going to be heading back to the office uh, as uh, as things tend to normalize after covid-19 to what degree do you think that's going to affect things or are we going to see an increase in
2: collaboration what are your thoughts there some of my thoughts about you know what has sort of happened is there was kind of, you know, during COVID, you know, there was, you know, we were all working from home, like there in certain places, there was a bump up in productivity because people sometimes focus and kind of, you know, isolation can actually help you be more productive and things. But what I think clearly dropped off was the creativity and the collaboration. So so the collaboration, which is what fuels kind of creative processes and so on. And that did not sort of work over, you know, Zoom or, or or video video conferencing, right? So I think where we need that creativity, it's across all industries. All industries, you know, need it. And you know, but that will be part of a, a why people are coming back to the office and some of the value that people get. They'll remember what that was, why that hallway conversation that sparked this. These two people who happen to never talk to each other to talk to each other and come up with something interesting. I think I think we'll all realize what we've been missing, um, and people will kind of run and flock to you know, those who need that will will come back.
0: Are you generally optimistic coming into the new year? Do you think uh, we're, we're on the right path here?
2: It's always good. I'm a kind of an introspective kind of person, right? I like to, hmm. even at the end of every year, I kind of like to take stock of like what was, you know, what worked and what didn't work at, you know, during that year and sort of look to the next year and say, well, okay, what could I, what could I do better? And a lot of us have, you know, look to ourselves, you know, um, and had those, you know, those moments, and we're forced to have those moments. So to me, being introspective leads to, well, in a lot of cases can lead to kind of positive outcomes about how to do better in the coming year. So yeah, I I am uh, optimistic.
0: That's PJ Kerner from Illumio. And I'm pleased to be joined once again by Malek Ben Salem. She is the Technology Research Director for Security at Accenture. Uh Malek, it's always great to have you back. Uh, you and your colleagues recently released a report titled The State of Cyber Resilience. And I thought this would be a good opportunity to dig into that report. What can you share with us today?
1: Yeah, glad to be back, Dave. Uh, this is a report that Accenture publishes on a yearly basis. Uh, and we look at the state of uh, cybersecurity resilience every year. So this year we surveyed about 5,000 global uh, CSOs and CISOs about the practices of cybersecurity within their organizations. You know, some of the findings that I could share about that report is that we found uh, that 85% of these CISOs agree that the cybersecurity strategy is now developed with business objectives or hmm. aligned to business objectives and that's that's a great number i mean we've been within the security community we've been you know doubting for aligning security objectives with business objectives and that has not been typically the case yeah. but we see that uh, you know this is this is changing and now growth objectives and market share objectives are really you know, driving the um, the cybersecurity strategy.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting number there. I mean, I, I suppose it's like uh, you know steering that battleship. It doesn't happen quickly, but it's good to hear that uh, we're we're on a better road to achieving that goal.
1: Exactly. Exactly. No, th- those are that's great news. Yeah. Now, on the other hand, <laughs> 80%, eighty percent, uh, eighty more than eighty percent of CISOs. Do mention that staying ahead of attackers is still a constant battle for them, and that the the cost basically is is unsustainable. Um that's compared to sixty nine percent last year. So hmm. it seems like, you know, um, you know, staying ahead of attackers is becoming even more of a challenge this year,
0: yeah. when we say the cost is unsustainable and any insights there uh, there's just, having trouble getting the resources from the powers that be? Or what can you unpack from that?
1: Yeah, getting the resources um, is one, although uh, you know, most of these CISOs do actually mention that um, their budgets have increased. But okay. I think the, um, the mere number of attacks that they're undergoing is uh, increasingly growing. So on average, they see 270 attacks per company. And that's more than a 30% increase over 2020. Hmm. So significant increase in cyber attacks, which makes this um, battle or, or this uh, sustaining the cost basically uh, unsustainable.
0: To what degree do you think we may also be seeing better detection here that uh, you know, attacks that flew under the radar may no longer do that?
1: Yeah, that, that's a great question, actually. There's probably some of that and uh we see that across uh, two groups basically when we surveyed these CISOs, we we looked at how they align their security strategy with business strategy but we looked at how effective they are in detecting attacks how long it takes them to detect attacks etc and we see that you know two groups mainly one group that we call the cyber champions are really effective in detecting these attacks you know, they can, uh, they can uh, block a lot of the attacks by the fact that they can detect them early. Mm. Uh, so there's probably some of that going on. But also, I think overall, in, in 2020, we've seen an increase in attacks, especially the ones that are driven by uh, third parties. Uh, so supply chain uh, software risk, that's, um, that's uh, more of a concern for our clients this year.
0: I see. So where do you suppose this puts us as we head into the next year? Is there is there a sense of optimism or where do people land?
1: I think there is a sense of optimism. Um obviously there are the, you know, challenges as usual and mm. one of them is adopting the cloud securely. Uh we've seen uh, a lot of companies, you know, move to the cloud over the past you know, a few years, but that that trend has accelerated over last year. And the pandemic obviously has accelerated that. But uh, a majority of the CISOs that we've surveyed mentioned that um, adopting the cloud securely is still of a concern for them. Uh, there is a challenge there. And I think um, companies like Accenture can definitely help with that. Mm. Um, because uh, because the tools are available, right? Uh, right? Because we have so many things available to make that journey secure uh, for our clients.
0: Right, right. So there's no, no need to go at it alone anymore. There's plenty of uh, providers who can hold your hand on that journey these days.
1: Exactly, exactly. Yeah.
0: All right, well, Malek Ben Salem, thanks for joining us. Cyberwire For links to all of today's stories check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. the cyberwire.com The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Carp Peru Prakash, Justin Sabi, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Ivan, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpe, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.